Uh, before we jump into the message today, I know um, uh, many of you know uh, our beloved friend Dennis Garrett, and uh, he, I, I want you guys to be aware of this, so Dennis had a, uh, a heart attack, uh, I believe it was this morning, if that's right, he had a heart attack, and um, he had a surgery back in 2004, 2005, and there's some complications with that, and uh, he's got a heart cath coming up tomorrow, and, um, and, and so there's some questions on whether or not they can do the procedure. So I'm going to take a moment. Dennis has been a part of this body, Dennis and Tammy, for, I mean, decades. They've been a huge part of this church family. So I want to just take a moment, and if you would, join me in praying for Dennis. So Father, we thank you for, um, God, we thank you for Dennis. We thank you for his life, God, that you have uh, that you've rescued him, that you've brought him into your, your family, your kingdom. And God, thank you for his faithfulness to your work uh, here at Grace Chapel and his faithfulness to you. God, we pray that you would, um, God, that you would give him peace, him, him and Tammy, God, that you would give them peace in, in the midst of uh, what they're facing, some decisions that they're facing. And God, we ask, right now for complete and total healing for Dennis. God, that you would touch his body. God, that you would heal whatever is causing the complications with his heart. And God, that you would give the doctors wisdom to know how to proceed. And God, that um, you would give Dennis uh, many more years with us making an impact for your glory and your kingdom's sake. God, bless the Garretts. God, give them wisdom, give them peace, be near to them. And God, we pray that you would bring him out on the other side of this completely healed and whole. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen, amen, amen. All right, uh, we're gonna continue on in our series on joy this morning. And um, <clears throat> in his book, Affect Regulation and the Neurobiology of Attachment, which I know just based on that title, you all can't wait to get your hands on that book, uh, Dr. Alan Shore reported findings in his research uh, around the development of the human brain and discovered that the primary way that our brains develop and the primary way that our character is formed is through joy. It's a fascinating study, and, and it, it, this is what he said about joy in a relational context. He said, joy is being with someone who is glad to be with me. Joy is... It is being with somebody who's happy to be with you. When they see you, their face lights up and it fills you with joy. And he goes on to say that the primary way we interpret if someone's happy to be with us is through their facial expressions, through, through their eyes and their smile. It's through their, their face. And, uh, and adults interpret joy in, in this way. In fact, an infant... There's all kinds of studies and research on this. Infants relationally attach and, and bond with their parent through the face, through their face, through their eyes and their smile and their facial expressions. And adults, interestingly enough, are the same way because we once were babies too, right? So this is why in week one of this series, we simply ask the question, when you think of God, what expression is he wearing on his face? What does he look like? Is he angry? Is he judgmental? Does he seem distant and uncaring? Is he disinterested? Is he scornful? Is he judging? Or is he happy? Is he pleased to be with you? Is he joyful? Let me ask, how many of you 
uh, this Christmas season are going to be gathering with people, uh, some of whom you like, <laughs> and then there's the others. Anybody? Just, just me. Okay, cool. Um, how many of you are with that person right now? Okay. No, you love them, of course, but liking is a little bit of a different story. And as you think about gathering with them, you just kind of, you almost have to muster up some level of, of emotional energy to really force yourself to engage with that person. Maybe you got to splash some cold water on your face, slap yourself around, do some jumping jacks, get your adrenaline pumping. This might be just me as well. Okay, so... Um, the, the, the problem is, most of us, when we think of God, we think God just sort of approaches us in this same way. That God isn't all that happy to be with us. Many of us, we view God as just sort of tolerating us. That, that he just has to kind of muster up some kind of emotional energy in order to be in our presence. We think God just tolerates us, and we think God is only with me because he has to be or because he promised to be, not really because he wants to be. And what's amazing about the Christmas story is the Christmas story isn't that Jesus Christ left his throne, set aside all of his rights and privileges, and came down and walked among us just so he could tolerate you. The Christmas story is that Christ came to be with you because he loves you, he came to save you because he loves you. He celebrates you because he loves you. He came to usher you into a kingdom of joy that will never pass or fade away. And he wants to share that kingdom with you for all of eternity. So he didn't come down just to tolerate you. He came down because he delights in you. Because he loves you. Stacey Eldridge uh, writes this. She says, joy is the heartbeat of heaven. The very light that emanates from Jesus' heart. So as we grow closer in relationship with God, we'll also grow in joy. We'll see that he is not spending his moments wringing his hands as we are sometimes prone to do. He is not braced against the future or overcome by serious hardship. His joy is never up for grabs. Rather, his joy is immovable just as he is. It is an essential part of his very person. See, you and I, we're created in the image of an eternally joyful God. The, the God who is the, the creator and source of all joy. He created you for joy. He delights in you. He came down for the sake of joy. He suffered for your joy. He died because of joy. He conquered death, hell, and the grave to bring you into his joy. And he's offering you an invitation into a kingdom of overflowing, abundant joy that will never fade away. What an invitation. What a gift. Amen. Yes. See, human beings, there's, there's this theologian, he says, human beings were created out of the laughter and joy of the Trinity, which is just a beautiful picture. The community of God, the triune God in community with himself, laughing, and out of that laughter, human beings come into existence, right? This is why one of the primary markers of the Christian, of a genuine follower of Jesus, is joy, right? The, the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, right? God invites us and has created us for 
unrestrained, irrepressible, exuberant, ridiculous, resilient, defiant joy in a world that is dead set on misery and self-destruction. See, it is incredibly countercultural to be a joyful person. If you want to just go with the flow of the rest of culture, be miserable. Be grumpy. God invites us to live differently. He invites us into joy. In Isaiah's prophecy about the coming Messiah, he writes this in Isaiah 9. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You, God, have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. You, uh, They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And then verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. There is so much joy surrounding the coming Messiah. Everywhere you look. See, once you see joy in the Bible, you can't unsee it. It's everywhere. It's on every page. In John chapter 12, Jesus says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And maybe today, maybe you're here and you, you, you feel like you've been walking in darkness or remaining in darkness and maybe your relationship with God uh, over the years has grown cold or distant in some way. Or maybe you, you're coming into the Christmas season and you're carrying a level of grief or sorrow and this season, this time of year is only amplifying uh, some of that grief and some of that sorrow. Or maybe you've absolutely hated this sermon series because as we've talked about joy, what you're finding is not an increase in joy but an increase in your frustration at your lack of joy. And wherever you find yourself, that baby thought that was very funny. Um, and. Just a couple reminders for us. You know, biblical joy does not mean, and this is important enough to say almost every week, biblical joy does not mean pretending that everything is okay when it isn't. It's not faking it. It's not pretending it. It's, it's, biblical joy does not mean pretending to be joyful. Biblical joy is not ignorance to the problems of the world, and it is, it is not ignorance to the struggles of just normal, everyday Life, But it's a deep knowing that behind all the problems and behind all the pain, there is a redeemer at work in ways that you cannot currently see or comprehend, and the story is still being written. So it gives you reason for hope. And we've said that the, the opposite of joy is not sadness. In fact, the mark of an emotionally mature person is the ability to carry joy and sorrow at the same time. So the opposite of joy is not sadness or sorrow. The opposite of joy is hopelessness. You have nothing beyond this moment to rest your heart in. You have nothing to hope in, nothing to look forward to. And if there's anything that the Christmas story gives us, it's hope. It's a hope to rest your heart in that the Messiah came down and that one day he's coming back and he's gonna make every wrong right. He's going to bring justice on the earth. He's going to rescue his people. He is going to be with his people and dwell with his people. And it is going to be incredible. Right? That's what we have to hope in. And so the Christmas story gives us a reason for joy no matter what we face in life. And so today I want to talk about the face of joy. We're going to cover three areas. The face of joy, the face of shame, and what it means to face the world. Let's talk about the face of joy. 
It's really interesting, and it was a little bit uncomfortable to watch. There was a scientific study done in 1975 called the Still Face Experiment. And what it was is a parent would get in front of their infant, and the psychologists wanted to study the, the reactions of, of these infants if a parent would not engage with their facial expressions at certain points of, of, of their you know, engaging with one another. So the child would be there, maybe in a high chair or something, and the parent would get down and be playing and engaging and happy and laughing and communicating, and then they were instructed at one point just for their face to go still, like blank, and just to not engage with the child in any way. And what was fascinating is after the infant would make a couple of of, uh, attempts for connection, or or try some of the methods that had been working before, almost instantly, when the parent's face went blank or still, and they stopped engaging with their facial expressions, the infant would uh, almost instantly begin to get upset. And the first reaction in their body was to turn away and isolate from the parent that was refusing to engage and do anything that the infant could to, to separate themselves from the parent that was not engaging with their facial expressions. And then after you know, about 30 seconds or so, the parent would engage again, and who knows what kind of psychological damage that did to those infants. Um, but the findings were interesting because they saw the same thing over and over and over again with these kids. And isn't it interesting that one of the primary ways that the Bible refers to our relationship with God is through the the parent-child dynamic, right? It's he is our father, and he has given us the right to become his children, right? He is our father, we are his children. And in light of that dynamic, isn't it interesting that of all the blessings that God could have commanded Aaron to pronounce over Israel in his priestly blessing, this is what God commands Aaron to bless the Israelites with. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord, what? Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You know what that's describing? Relational attachment with God. Relational attachment with the God of the universe, why? Because his face is beaming with joy over you. He's not disengaging. He's not going still face on you. He is beaming with joy over you. That's describing joy. It's describing a joyful God who is pleased with his people, pleased with his creation, beaming with joy over them. You seeing God's face. You've seen God beaming over you with joy, being happy to be in your presence. You know what that does? It fills you with joy. You can't help but be happy when you think about God beaming over you with joy and pleasure in his heart, with delight as he thinks about you. You know, when I first came to Christ, I was so overwhelmed with gratitude and joy, I could not stop crying. I mean, it was for weeks I would just cry at at anything. Somebody would mention the goodness of God, and I would just start crying. Or I'd see a billboard on the road that said, you know, are you going to spend eternity in hell? And I'd be like, no, and I'd start weeping. (laughs) Or, or, you know, I'd open the Bible, and I'd read the word the, and I would just start crying. 
It was ridiculous, and it probably just annoyed the tar out of everybody around me, but I, I was so grateful and so overwhelmed at the goodness and grace of God over my life. I couldn't help but cry, and there were tears of joy, overwhelming gratitude for the goodness and grace of God, and a part of the reason why I was so grateful was because of the depth of the, of the darkness in my life, that God had brought me out of the darkness and into the light, that he had rescued me, and I was overwhelmed because God loved somebody like me. I knew how undeserving I was of his goodness, of his kindness, of his grace. I knew that I didn't deserve it, but I was so impacted because of the depth of my own shame. You know, shame is like this thing that, it's like this heavy, wet coat that we're just carrying through life. And it wasn't until I came to Christ and Christ took that off of me that I realized what a heavy burden that had been. And all of a sudden I felt freer and lighter. And it was almost like I was floating through life. I felt like no matter what came my way, that nothing could shake me off of the love of God. I was so grateful, so unbelievably joyful. And, and it wasn't just because God had freed me from addiction. That was a part of it. It wasn't just because I was forgiven of my sin, even though that was a part of it. There was a deep sense in me of God's pleasure over my life as his son. I remember the first time I, I ever really had this sense of God speaking to me. And I had no biblical basis for anything that I was experiencing, but everything I was reading in scripture was describing what I was already experiencing in God. But I took a, a little journal, I went out in the woods in Kingston Springs, and I just asked God this question, am I right with you? And I just sat there and waited for a few moments, and I had this sense that God was saying something in me. I wasn't audible, but it was just this sense. And so I began to write what God was saying over me. And it was, you're not just right with me, I am pleased with you. I love you, you're my son, I've chosen you, I've got a purpose for you, and I'm so glad you're mine. It changed me. I was crying tears of joy for months, and I was floating through life. I felt untouchable by the, the normal worries and concerns of life. Like I just knew God loves me, he's all-knowing, all-powerful, I am seen and known and loved by God, I'm seen and known and loved by my community, I, I, like, nothing can shake me off of the love of God and I'm just floating through life. Has, have any of you, like, been through seasons like that where you just, you have this sense of, of the assurance of God's love for you and nothing can shake you off of it? Uh, J.C. Ryle writes about this. He says, assurance goes so far to, to set, uh, goes far to set a child of God free from a painful kind of bondage and it ministers mightily to his comfort. It enables him to feel that the great business of life is settled. The great debt is paid, the great disease is healed, the great work, a finished work, and all other business, diseases, debts, and works are by comparison small. Essentially what he's saying is you are so overwhelmed by the love of God that no matter what problem you face, you just trust that in the end God is gonna work it all out. He's got you covered. And in fact, when Nehemiah talks about the joy of the Lord being our strength, this is what he's talking about. He, he, 
The, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It is a mountain fortress. It's, somehow, God makes you unshakable against the normal problems and worries of life because you have joy. It doesn't matter how daunting they are or how trivial they are. If you have the joy of the Lord, nothing can shake you off of it. And we're invited to find that kind of joy, that kind of resilience, that kind of strength in the face of God who is beaming with joy over us. Zephaniah 3.17 says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness and he will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Uh, in, the, in Hebrew, it, it's interesting because it carries, that verse carries with it the idea that the Lord is actually, um, it's not just dancing over you, but he's frolicking over you. That God is so joyful at the thought of you that he's literally frolicking. And if you have a difficult time imagining God being that way, then you don't understand who the God of the Bible actually is. He is so in love with you, so pleased with you, so enraptured by the thought of you. He wants you to know that he delights in you. He is beaming with joy over you. And you go, well, Rob, yeah, but he doesn't, you know, what about all these problems and all these issues that I still have? And we'll, we'll get to that. But he, here's the thing. The starting point for God and human beings, for God and you specifically, is joy. He created you for joy. Psalm 4 uh, says this, lift up the light of your face on us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So joy is not rooted in your circumstance or material possessions. In fact, what's happening here is the psalmist is saying that joy is rooted in seeing the face of God. In Psalm 31, verse 16, it says, make your face to shine upon your servant. Save me in your loving kindness. In Psalm 1611, we quoted this last week, in your presence is fullness of joy. Now, in the Old Testament, anywhere where you find the phrase, the presence of God, or in your presence, that word presence in the original language oftentimes can be translated in the light of your face. Isn't that interesting? In the original Hebrew, it, it could literally be, so Psalm 1611 could literally be translated, in the light of your face there is abundance of joy. When I see you beaming over me, with joy, there is an abundance of joy in me. It's why over and over and over and over again we're told to seek the face of God. Why? Because it's the face of joy. When you see God's face being happy to be with you. See, we're invited to be with a God who is happy to be with us. It's the face of joy. Now, let's talk about the face of shame. Last week we talked about this quite a bit. Uh, just interesting to note as we're talking about the face of God and that's how we give and receive joy is through our facial expressions. What do people do with their face when they're ashamed? They cover. They cover their face. They cover up. They put their hands over their face. They don't want to be seen. They don't want to see others. They, they turn their face away. Or even think about Animals, like think about what dogs do when dogs are ashamed. <laughs> I don't know what that dog did. But he is feeling really shameful about it. Right? Or he's scheming. I don't know what he's doing. Uh, 
or, or what happens when the Titans, they're winning the entire football game and then they blow it in the end and they lose. What happens? There's communal shame, right? Everybody's <laughs> covering their face or they're looking down or they're turning away unless you're this guy. <laughs> He's making everybody else feel ashamed. Right, but what we do when we carry shame is we cover up. We don't want to see other people. We don't want to be seen by other people. And we do this out of a desire for self-protection. And we do, it's interesting, we do exactly what an infant does with an expressionless parent is we immediately isolate ourselves from God out of a desire for self-protection because we've predetermined that God is either mad at us or he's upset with us, or he's ashamed of us, or he's disappointed in us. And if that's true, then the natural inclination for all of us is to isolate ourselves from God. We distance ourselves from God. We don't come back to God at all because we're terrified. If we do, he's just waiting to let us have it. But that's not who God is. For those of you that feel distant or isolated from God, I can promise you this today. God is not isolating himself from you. He has not turned his face away from you. The, the, the second that the father saw the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 making his way home, after years of being gone, after years of wasting his life on frivolous living, Wasting his inheritance, the father doesn't stand there with his arms crossed just scornfully looking upon his son as he's making that long trek home. As soon as the father sees the son, he hikes up his robe, which was incredibly shameful to do in that culture in that time, and he runs like a madman to embrace his son, to kiss him, to put a robe on him, the sandals on his feet, the ring on his finger, and he says, my son was dead and now he's alive, we're throwing a party. See, the father, what we need to understand is the father is not ashamed of you. The father is not disappointed in you. The father is looking on the horizon for the moment that you would begin to come home so he can run and meet you there and remind you of how much you are loved, how much he cares for you, how much he delights in you. That's the heart of the father for you. And see, the, the prodigal, there, there was no ounce of shame that the father had placed on the son. But the prodigal stayed a prodigal for so many years because of the shame that he placed on himself. And the father longs to remove that shame. If you've been wandering from God or isolating yourself from God, if you come back to him, I promise you, the second you do, the father's gonna take that shame off of you. And he's gonna set you free. Uh, the other night, my son Jack and I were, were, um, were brushing our teeth together in the, in the bathroom. And, uh, and I noticed, it's very strange, but my electric shaver was sitting there and it was just randomly like it was possessed, like it was turning on and off on its own. And I look over at it and the, the button to turn it on is just busted a little bit. And Jack notices me noticing it. And he goes, yeah, um, it fell and it, it broke. And I look at him, I'm thinking, all on its own, huh? <laughs> uh, but in the moment, I just, I, I looked at him and I said, oh, it's, it's okay, it's no big deal, I can always get another one. But I just filed that away for a little bit later and as I'm tucking him into bed that night, I go, hey, hey buddy, when you said it fell, 
did you mean that you were playing with it and it dropped and you broke it? And here's what he did. This is, I mean, just immediately, as soon as I brought it up, he goes like this. So he covers his face and he turns away because he's ashamed. He doesn't want to look at me. And so I just asked the question. I said, Jack, was it, was it an accident? And he goes, yeah. I go, okay. It's okay. It was an accident. You didn't mean to do it. And, and I, I, need, I need you to turn back toward me. I need, I need you to look at my face. And so he turns and looks at my face. And I just said, buddy, I love you. I am so grateful that I get to be your dad. This is one of the few parenting moments that I, I feel like I got right. I <laughs> said, so I love you. I'm so glad that I get to be your dad. I am so pleased with you. I'm not disappointed in you. I'm not mad at you. I love you, buddy. It's okay. And, and he kind of got this little like sheepish smile on his face. And then I, I kind of pressed into, okay, so in the future if something like this happens, here's what I need you to do. I need you to step into that moment. And I know it's scary, but I want you to remember this. I want you to remember that I'm not disappointed in you. I'm not upset with you. It's okay. But I need you to step in and say, Dad, I'm going to own what's mine to own. I was playing with your shaver, and I shouldn't have been, and I dropped it, and I broke it. And I'm going to meet you with love and grace and kindness. And, and, and if I don't, you can remind me of this conversation. <laughs> right? And so, but what was fascinating is immediately he turned his face away until I pursued him. I assured him of my love for him, and I took his shame off of him, which is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for you. He's pursued you. His death and resurrection assures you of his love for you, and today he wants to remove your shame from you. If you're isolating from God, if you're hiding your face from God, turning away from God, I'm telling you, I promise you, God has not turned away from you. In the person of Jesus, he's pursued you to the ends of the earth. I mean, this is the Christmas story. He has pursued you to the point of subjecting himself, the creator, subjecting himself to his own creation in order to demonstrate and prove how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, how pleased he is with you. God hasn't turned away from you. Don't let your shame keep you away from a God who loves you and delights in you. Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks, they write this. They said, joy is the foundation of a secure bond with God. And when I trust that God is happy to be with me and is smiling at me, this joy naturally removes fear from the relationship. And this is why in 1 John 4, 18, it says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, but, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. See, if you're isolating from God for fear, you're not recognizing that God is not looking for opportunities to punish you. He's looking for opportunities to display his love for you. <laughs> and if, if you isolate for fear of God, 
fear of punishment, then you haven't fully understood the love of God over your life. And that's perfectly displayed in the person of Jesus. Now, some of us, we isolate because of shame. Some of us turn away from God because of shame. Others of us, we isolate from others because we're just grouchy. Because we don't like people very much. And, and your face, you know, your face just sort of says, go away. You kind of just, you're resting, it's resting grouch faith. That's the Christian version of it, right? <laughs> RGF. All right, and I, listen, I always tell my family the greatest stories in life, that they, um, the, the greatest movies, the greatest books, the greatest stories, the most inspirational stories, they're all, they all have some elements of the gospel in it. And, uh, and the Grinch is a perfect example of one of those stories. Because the Grinch is the worst, you know, kind of like Jimmy says, people are the worst. Yeah, the Grinch is the worst, right? A and he's stolen all the presents from the Who's down in Whoville, and he's up on the top of the mountain, he's got all the presents, and yet he hears this singing. And he just, his whole paradigm begins to shift. And he realizes it's not about the presents. It's about the fact that these people are coming together and they're enjoying each other's presence. They just enjoy being together. And all of a sudden, when this dawns on him, his heart grows three sizes, and he just becomes this overwhelmingly joyful person. And, uh, and so some of you are sort of like the Grinch right now, and you need to take a trip to Whoville. <laughs> need to take a little trip and see some people that are just happy to be with each other. Uh, in our first year of marriage, Misty and I... We, and our kids, we went to the sweet little church in, in uh, Pittsburgh. And it was, you know, about 50, 60 people on a Sunday morning. And almost every Sunday, we would leave this little church. And I would lean over to Misty, and I, I would just kind of quietly ask her this question. I'd just go, why are we coming to this church again? <laughs> because the preaching was awful. And the music I mean, Pittsburgh is not known for its music scene, so the music was just painful. And we did our best to just press in and engage and, you know, take notes. And we just, we did everything we knew to do, and it was a little bit painful every time. I kind of feel like the Grinch just saying this, okay? But when we just really had an honest conversation about why do we keep coming here, here was the answer. The people. It was like a little family. And every time we would walk in and be with these people, whether it's a Sunday morning or a weeknight, we were happy to see them and they were happy to see us. That Their faces would light up and so would ours. And it was like a little family. It, 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 and it was what the church was designed to be, a family. And we were happy to be together. And, and as we were welcomed into this community of joy, my heart grew three sizes and... Um, it, it's one of the things that God does in community. It's one of the reasons why life groups and being in community with other people or thrive, it's one of the reasons why this is so important because you can't get that if you just show up on a Sunday morning and stare at the back of someone's head for an hour once a week. You have to be in relationship with other people. You have to be welcomed into a community of joy. Let's talk about what it means to face the world. The last thing I wanna show you is this. There's this, uh, this great story about Moses in Exodus 34. And Moses had been with God on Mount Sinai. He'd received the Ten Commandments, the two tablets. And, uh, and he comes down off the mountain. And his face, 
uh, is just glowing. How many of you have seen the, the old Charlton Heston movie where he comes down off, his face is just radiating the glory of God, right? And he comes down and, and his face is so bright that Aaron and the Israelites, they didn't like it. They were actually afraid of him. And what they did is they took a veil and they made him put a veil over his face after every time he would go be with God because he would go back up on the mountain, he would spend time with God, and he would come down and his face would be glowing again. He was radiating the glory of God and so they would cover it up. And here's what's true. When you and I, when we are freed from our shame, when we do the work, when we invite God into the deepest, darkest parts of our life that we don't want anybody else to know about, and God does that work, he takes that wet coat off of us, and he sets us free, when you're receiving the, the, the delight of God over your life, when you see him beaming with joy over you, and, and you begin to go out into the world living in the joy of the, the Lord, guess what? Some people are not going to like it. Some people aren't gonna like it, why? Because the joy of the Lord frees you from all of their attempts to control or manipulate or limit what God wants to do in you and through you. When you're living in the joy of the Lord, you you become impossible to control or manipulate by Satan or by people or what, you become impossible to control or manipulate because the voices that used to control you or crush you now can't even touch you because you're living in the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. And if you're living in the joy of the Lord, if you see the face of God smiling over you, what's, what else is gonna happen is you're gonna grow in your emotional and spiritual maturity in ways that you never thought possible. Your spiritual maturity is gonna get on the fast track. And people aren't gonna like it when you begin to change, when you begin to become more and more like Christ. And they're gonna criticize it, they're gonna villainize it, and they're gonna do whatever they can to try and cover you up. Don't let them do it. Don't let them. Don't let them. Because God has invited you into his joy in the person of Jesus. Don't let other people keep you from the joy that God has for you. Right, because even though there are going to be people who don't like it, there's a world out there that needs to see what God has put in you to do. There's a world that is in desperate need to see the goodness and the joy and the glory of God emanating off of the people of God. And if you are not receiving the joy of the Lord, you can't move out into the world that way. You can't be people of joy. You can't be a person of hope. But only when you sense God's pleasure over your life can you move into the world and step into the arena. See, this is, God removes our shame by saying, I love you, I want you to know there's nothing that could ever change that. Let me take that shame off of you because I've got work for you to do. I've got something for you to do, so it's time for you to step into the arena. Some of you have been terrified of taking risks because you don't wanna get hurt. And I'm telling you, you're gonna reach the end of your life and you're gonna look back and you're gonna wish that you had taken that risk, taken that step. You're gonna wish you'd opened that door and stepped into the arena. See, this this is the beautiful part about following Jesus is you receive his joy, you receive his love, and he fills you with the courage to obey him no matter what it costs you because you care far more about what God thinks than you do about what people think. You care far more about what God thinks than you do what you think about yourself. 
All of a sudden, it be, like Paul even says this. He goes, I don't care what you say about me. I don't even care what I say about myself. I only care about pleasing God. I want to obey him because he is beaming with joy over me. His voice is the only voice that I care about. This is why Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. And then he says this, not like Moses, <laughs> who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. But when one, what? turns to the Lord, faces the Lord, sees the face of God. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, the face of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Did you know that the more you live in the presence of God, the more you become like God? the more you're formed into the character and the image of Jesus. The, the more time you spend beholding the smiling face of God, the more joy you will carry throughout your life. The more you sense him beaming with joy over you, the more joy you will carry through life. E even in the hardest moments of life, you can remain a person of resilient joy. This is what God has for you. He wants to shine his joy upon you. He wants you to sense his smile over you. He wants to shine his glory on you so that you can reflect his glory to the world around you. We know, see, in a world that is dead set on misery and self-destruction, we know the source and author of joy. We get to live in and receive his joy, and we get to carry and reflect his joy for the world. This is the invitation of Christmas. This is the invitation of the incarnation, the birth of the Messiah. Michael Green, uh, writing on his, uh, his commentary on Matthew, he says this. He says, it is as if Jesus is saying that life in the kingdom with him is a life of profound joy, a joy that no person and no circumstance can take away. And this blessedness, this joyfulness, this happiness is not reserved for some kind of nebulous future. It is for now. It is the mark of those who have really surrendered to the king and tasted his grace. I, I love this quote, Craig Lounsborough. He said this, once I stare into the face of God, I can stare into the face of anything. When you see the face of joy, God's pleasure over your life, when he makes his face to shine upon you, and you turn your face toward his. When you stare into the face of God, you can stare into the face of anything. No matter how daunting, no matter how trivial, you can face it because you know you have the assurance of God's love for you and his pleasure over you as his beloved children. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the beauty of this invitation. God, thank you that you have paved the way for us to come out of the darkness, to come out of hiding, to be seen and known and loved by you.
and by one another. And God, today, God, wherever we've been carrying shame, God, would you help us have the courage to turn our face toward you again? To see you, not with scorn or judgment or anger, but with joy, with delight. God, would you help that picture of you frolicking over your people? God, would you help us to carry that with us? To know that no matter what it is that we've been walking through, no matter what it is that we've been facing in life, no matter what hardship is there, we all have different versions of it. But even in the midst of that, you are beaming with joy over your people. God, help us to receive it and walk in it today. Free us from shame and bring us into your joy. We pray in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. amen. Church, would you stand with me? I'm gonna invite our prayer team forward. and We're gonna respond to God. The, t- the team is gonna lead us. And whether you've got a prayer request that's in relationship to what we've talked about today or something totally different, uh, the prayer team is here to cover whatever those needs are that might be physical healing or some kind of uh, something that you, you want God to free you from or you've got a need with a friend of you. Like we are here to pray over whatever it is that you're carrying with you today. And so we're gonna respond to him. The team is gonna lead us. And, uh, and, and so here, here's the deal. Let, let's join our faith together. Let's agree in prayer with one another and see God's beaming face of joy over all of us as we respond to him, amen? Amen, let's respond now.